Welcome to the Beacon broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com, beaconbaptist.com. The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. We are continuing today our study of John chapter 17, the concluding chapter of the Upper Room Discourse, which began in John 13 and was the time when Christ prepared his apostles for his impending death on the cross, of course, followed by his resurrection and ascension to heaven. And so he was preparing them for these events and particularly so that They would be prepared to carry on his work in his absence with the presence of the Holy Spirit, whom he tells them is actually a step forward, an advance on his physical earthly presence. But nevertheless, they need to understand that and to know how to appropriate that because, like us, they are more impressed by what they can see and touch and take in with their physical senses than they are with those things that they are able to receive by spiritual perception. And the physical presence of Jesus was very important to them, and the spiritual presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit, not so much. And they were like us in that regard. But as we grow in grace, as we mature, then we learn more of what it means to perceive things spiritually rather than physically, even though we continue to use our physical senses in order to open the door to our spiritual understanding. So Christ is preparing his disciples for his departure and preparing them for growth in grace, preparing them for greater maturity in spiritual things, preparing them for the leadership which they will need to exercise in order to carry out the work which Christ has given them to do, preparing them to be the foundation for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is still being built 2,000 years later, but the foundation was laid in the days of the apostles, and these are the men that Paul tells us in Ephesians are the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So it's a very important time of preparation for these apostles, and it culminates with Christ praying this high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, which his apostles are privileged to hear him pray. But we are privileged to also hear Jesus pray because the Holy Spirit has included a written account of this prayer in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, 
And so it's as if we are taken into a holy place where we can listen in while Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, prays to his heavenly Father. It is a stunning opportunity that we, I trust, will value and will learn from by the grace of God. Thank you for joining me on this Sunday, December 17. Thank you for helping me with the cost of the Beacon broadcast, for we cannot do this without the help of radio listeners. And it may be that the God that God would lead you to send a special year-end gift for the expenses of the Beacon broadcast. Well, back to this concept of the apostles of Christ overhearing him pray, as well as we now also able to, as it were, overhear him pray, though again, we're not going to hear an audible voice. We're not going to hear him pray through that particular sensory perception as the apostles did, but by reading these words on the pages of Scripture or by hearing them read by others on the pages of Scripture, it is as if we can actually hear Jesus Christ pray. But it occurs to me that this is really the only significant prayer of Christ that we are allowed to overhear. But the apostles of Christ had evidently many opportunities to overhear Jesus praying. He often drew apart to pray, and we we really don't know how many times he was apart from his apostles so that they could not hear him pray. He was in complete privacy. But there are times, evidently, when he prayed in the presence of his apostles. But what I'm thinking about now is that question that the apostles directed to Jesus when they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, if in fact I am correct that the apostles had already overheard Jesus praying on previous occasions to previous to the time when they made that request, then evidently hearing Jesus pray was not sufficient in itself to teach them how to pray. And apparently they had picked up that that John had actually taught his disciples, this is the way that you pray, point number one, point number two, point number three, and so forth, like you might write the points on a on a screen or a chalkboard in the classroom and say, this is how you do it. Ideally, they should have been able to overhear Jesus pray and say, well, we'll copy that. We'll pray like that. But either they didn't hear him pray as much as I think they probably did, or in hearing him pray, they said, we can't pray like that. Impossible for us. But we do need to pray, and we need to learn how to pray. And John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. So, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. And some of the disciples of Christ had formerly been disciples of John, so they very well may have been in on the instructions when John the Baptist was teaching his disciples to pray. And so... What I'm suggesting is that the prayers of Christ were so 
what should I say, so exalted, so powerful, so perfect, so majestic that the disciples said, we can't do that, but could you teach us something a little simpler that we can get started on? We're still in kindergarten. When we hear you pray, we recognize you're, as it were, in college. You're, as it were, in graduate school. We are so far from being able to do that that it's not even a possibility, at least yet, until we advance and grow and and progress through a lot more grades in school before we get there. But we're still in kindergarten. Would you teach us to pray at the level that we uh, currently uh, possess so that we can get started to doing this thing right? And if, if you are a student of Scripture, you know that in answer to that, Jesus gave what we generally call the Lord's Prayer, but I think is better called the model prayer. When Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, as we look at that model prayer that Christ gave his disciples, said you should pray like this, we realize that it doesn't sound much at all like the prayer of Christ that we're reading in John chapter 17. So yes, it was something at a different level. We also should realize that it was, in fact, a model prayer in the sense that it was something of an outline of how to pray. In other words, I'm saying it does not appear to me that Jesus was saying when you pray, Pray this, pray these exact words, memorize this prayer, and say it like I just did a moment ago, and which many Christians have memorized it and pray it. And many churches have the whole congregation pray that prayer word for word in in worship services, some every, every Sunday. It's a part of their standard Sunday liturgy that there's a time when the whole congregation repeats the Lord's Prayer. And I don't see anything wrong with that. I'm not suggesting that that's not correct. I'm just simply suggesting that that does not appear to me what Jesus was telling them to do with it. I don't see anything wrong with that. In fact, I do see some advantages. I see some some help in, in memorizing the prayer and in saying the prayer. But I don't think that's what Jesus was telling the disciples to do. I think he was telling them, think of these elements, think of these points, think of these these uh, categories of of the elements of prayer that you find in this model prayer and pray in that way. So how do you begin your prayer? Well, you address God. How? As our Heavenly Father. And what should you start out doing in your pray, praying? Well, you should start out honoring your heavenly Father, worshiping him, exalting him. Hallowed be thy name. And what should you pray for? What should your petitions be when you pray? Well, you should start out praying for things that are conspicuously God-honoring before you get to the things that pertain to you personally. So, so thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, you, what else do you pray for? Petitions are certainly a part of our prayers, and so you are invited to pray for those things that are personal needs to you. Give us this day our daily bread. Not too many Americans really have a, a sense that, that uh, acquiring food on a daily basis is a real need. We, we are so much uh, better, better fed, <laughs> better uh, equipped e- economically than, than the disciples of Christ evidently were, who were living a rather, um, what should I say, nomadic life, though they weren't in the desert, but, but were traveling from place to place and, and were probably more aware that God must supply their food day by day. They didn't. They probably really didn't know in in most cases where their next meal was coming from. So that was very appropriate for them. But you see, we can we can uh, learn from that that it's appropriate to pray to God for the things that we need. And I emphasize the word need. God gives us things that we need so that we might learn to pray for them, so that we might learn to trust him for them, so that we might learn to to uh, worship God in honoring honoring him by, by believing that he's able to meet our needs and believing that he is, is willing to meet our needs, that he has promised to meet our needs, but he hasn't promised to meet our needs without making us aware of the need and causing us to worship him in prayer as the means of his supplying the need, as the way that we receive the answer to our prayers from him. We reach up to him in prayer to receive what we need. So give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. That's an important part of prayer, confession of sin. And Christ made that a rather general thing because it was a model prayer. So, Trespasses is general, but of course when we pray, at least when we're praying privately, we ought to be specific. Forgive me for this sin. Forgive me for that sin. I think it's important that we review our performance, as you might say, review our activities, the, the, the way we have lived and talked and acted and thought during the last several hours, assuming that we're keeping short lists with God, short accounts with God, and that we're doing this on a regular basis so we can cover it over the last few hours instead of letting so much time go between any serious time of prayer that when we finally do are driven to our knees because of great needs that make us cry out to God in prayer— We have so many unconfessed sins in our lives that we can't begin to remember them all. They they go back days, weeks, months. Could it possibly be even years? So we need to keep a short account with God. But when we pray, we need to say, forgive me for this. I said this and I shouldn't have said it. Forgive me for this. I did this and I shouldn't have done it. Forgive me for this. I had an opportunity to do this and a responsibility to do it, and I, I didn't do it. I was lazy. I, I was preoccupied with lesser things that aren't nearly as important. I 
I procrastinated, I was fearful, I was timid, and I didn't do what I know I should have done. So, so sins of both commission and omission, we confess the sins before God. And even, yes, I think we need to confess thoughts that we have, have entertained, not thoughts that flit through our minds. We're not responsible for having a, a God-dishonoring thought briefly when we see something inadvertently that we hadn't pursued. We see it on a billboard. We see it, it flits across the television screen when we're watching something that's perfectly appropriate, but here comes maybe a commercial or who knows what. Or, or see something at work or in the marketplace, some display that causes us to have an impure thought immediately, but if we don't dwell on it, I don't I don't personally think that is a a sin, though I think even those those casual I don't know if I'd call them casual, but those brief episodes of things that that cross our attention, that that that, that call our attention, uh, we should ask God to help us to dismiss those things quickly and to deliver us from those occasions if they are known to be a problem in our lives as they are in the lives of many people. So we even, we even consider our, our thought life as we confess our sins. So forgive us this day, or forgive, forgive us our trespasses rather, as we forgive our as we forgive the uh, forgive uh, forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us that's really important most people even god's people have things that have uh, been done to them by others that fester and they can fall into several categories. Sometimes they may be things that we have exaggerated. They may not really be as serious offense against us as we make them out to be, but we tend to magnify the offenses of others even as we minimize the offenses that we have caused to others. Isn't that our tendency, our sinful tendency? But whether they are small or large, we all have things that have been done to us that are difficult and grievous and, yes, are truly our sins that have been committed against us. But several times Jesus makes it clear that if we're not willing to forgive others, their transgressions against us, then we're not in any position to receive the forgiveness of God and our transgressions against him. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do we do that consciously? Are we willing to do that? This, this is why the, the so-called Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, is so helpful. Because it really does touch upon the elements, the categories that ought to be included in our prayer life. And that's one of them that, that often we don't think about. The need to deliberately... Think about and forgive, dismiss the trespasses that others have done against us. 
to commit them to the Lord, to put them away, to, 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 to ask God to help us to, to minimize them and forget them in the sense that we're not going to keep bringing these up and let them be a hindrance to us and our relationship with others, and particularly not to be a hindrance in our relationship to God, because we are told this is a hindrance in our relationship to God, isn't it? If we're not willing to forgive others, then we've got a problem in our relationship with God. So forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That one has been a phrase that I've always had to give some thought to because the Bible tells us in the book of James that God does not tempt anyone to sin. And yet we also know that God controls all the circumstances in our lives. So even though he does not directly tempt us to sin, he does allow us to be in situations where we are tempted to sin. Others are the cause of the temptation. They are the ones who are sinning in presenting that temptation, in some cases even enticing us into temptation, encouraging us into temptation, pressuring us into yielding, yielding to temptation. And God puts us in those situations. He controls every element of our lives. So he puts us in those situations for, for good reasons, divine reasons. And when we fall, we certainly can't fault God. We can only fault ourselves and our own sinful heart. And what these things do is reveal to us our, our sinful nature. <laughs> The, the lingering sin that we still have, even after we have been born into the family of God. We're not fully sanctified, and we still carry these remnants of Adamic nature with us, and they are, are troublesome. And we, we need to learn our own true condition. Far too often, even God's people have a much high, too highly elevated estimation of themselves— and think that they're stronger and more able and more courageous and more determined and more spiritually minded, more godly than they really are. We see examples of this in the New Testament among the apostles of Christ. Christ said that uh, I'm going to be taken away and you're all going to forsake me. And Peter said, I'll never do it, Lord. Even if everybody else does it, I'll never do it. And it was only a matter of hours until he he cowered, acted as a weak, weak coward, just melting, as it were, in, in fear before a servant girl who questioned him about his relationship with Christ. And instead of owning his relationship, he denied it. Wow. And that's just one example that comes to mind. But here's one who thought he was so big and strong and courageous and and loyal and loved Christ so much he would never do anything to displease him. He would he could be counted on even if nobody else could, and bang, the temptation comes and he falls like a little child stumbling and falling down on the ground. And that tem that that temptation which he was brought into by the providence of God and Tempted to sin, not by God, for God tempts no man to sin, but tempted by the circumstances that 
God placed him in, tempted actually by this little maid, and fell grievously to do what? To show him his true nature, to show him his weakness, to show him how dependent he is upon God. It was a grievous time for Peter, and it took some time for him to deal with it and put it behind him. But when he did, he was stronger, wasn't he? Christ did forgive him. Christ did restore him. Christ did call him back into the work of the gospel. No, 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 you're not going back into a life of fishing. I have called you to be a fisher of men. I've called you to be one of my apostles. I have not rescinded that commission, even though you have sinned and are deeply disappointed. And of course, everyone who knows you is also disappointed. And yes, I'm disappointed, but and you're probably more disappointed than anyone else, but that has not removed you from God's calling on your life. Boy, there are a lot of lessons to learn here, aren't there? There really are. And I had started down this road not thinking I would spend the whole broadcast today talking about it, but I think this is so very, very helpful. It has been to me. And so as you go through these elements of the model prayer, Forgive us our trespasses and deliver us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I take that to mean that these are two two sides of the same coin, so to speak. In other words, don't don't allow us to be placed in a in a situation where temptation is stronger than we can, with your help and strength, with our with our our appeal to you with our activating the the means that you have given us, remembering the promises of your word, thinking about scripture, calling upon the indwelling Holy Spirit to help us. Um, we We can overcome this, deliver us from evil. And then, of course, that great conclusion to the prayer, such a great statement of honor and glory and majesty to God to give him praise in our prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What a wonderful prayer. It is a good model prayer. Martin Luther was said to have prayed the Lord's Prayer every day and then to have elaborated on each part. And I have done this quite quite often myself. I found it very helpful. To go through the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? Think about the holiness of God. Think about the, the exalted nature of God and, and extend that thought further in your prayers. Talking, of course, about your private prayers. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Well, think about that and begin to pray other requests that, that fit into the Uh, contours of that particular statement. One thing to do there is to say it would be hypocritical, O Lord, for me to desire that your kingdom come to earth and become the ruling kingdom over all men if I'm not allowing you to rule in my heart now. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means your kingdom come in power and glory to my heart and may My will be bent to your kingdom, and forgive me to the extent that it is not, but make that so in my life today. May your kingdom 
come to me. Will, will your kingdom dominate me today? And so forth. Right on through this prayer, taking up each petition and extending it, elaborating on it, and applying it to my situation. It becomes a wonderful help to private prayer, teaching us how to pray. That's exactly why it was given. But, and we'll have to get back to it in, in next time, but this prayer, this high priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 is a wonderful, wonderful prayer. And yes, there are many elements of that that can become a model to our praying, but there's so much more beyond. And we'll be returning to that in the weeks to come. Please join me then. Until then, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.